0: What's up everyone? This is episode 105 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at WaxMuseumPC. Alright, well I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everyone's having a great week so far. As usual, it's been a very active week in the hobby. Um, We had changes with the eBay Bucks program. Many of you have seen PSA raise their prices. I know a lot of people have been talking about that. And then what would a week in the hobby be without a new record price? This past weekend, a Luka Doncic National Treasures Logoman Auto 101 sold for a staggering $4.6 million. And speaking of the Logoman patch, The NBA logo has been a pretty hot topic lately, and I've got a real special guest for you today. As you probably saw in the title of today's show, I recently had a conversation with Alan Siegel, who's the designer of the NBA logo. And while a lot of you are very familiar with the imagery of the logo itself, you've probably been exposed to a lot of Alan's other projects too. So as a short teaser for our conversation today, I'm going to read a quick snippet from his website. It says, quote, If you want to see Alan's portfolio, walk down any street. On one side, you'll see the Mount Sinai Hospital logo. Across the street is the branding for John Jay College. Walking past you is someone wearing an NBA jersey, followed by someone wearing a Major League Baseball cap. Alan has done it all, from Xerox, American Express, Caterpillar, 3M, U.S. Air Force, Dell, the Girl Scouts, and on and on. End quote. Anyway, I'll have that for you here in just a moment, so make sure you want to stick around for that. Before I get there, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast, and one of my goals is to always keep the show itself free for you, the listener. So as a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, and click either the Fanatics link or the eBay logo at the top. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum Podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to
1: the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby!
0: All right, so the NBA logo has been a hot topic in the last week for several reasons. Uh, Most notably, Kyrie Irving has called for the logo to change. A lot of you, I'm sure, have heard about that. And additionally, this is a basketball card podcast and a Luka Doncic basketball card with a Logo Man patch on it just sold for $4.6 million this weekend. A lot of money for a piece of cardboard. Um, now, a lot of people are talking about these things, but I wanted to hear from someone that had a little deeper ties to the logo. So joining me today as a guest, I'm very excited to chat with the designer, the creator of the NBA logo, the guru of branding, Mr. Alan Siegel. Alan, you mentioned in one of your emails that you've been very busy in the last few weeks. I'm assuming that's a good thing. So how are things going for you? Well, you know, here in New York, which I'm where I've lived my whole life,
1: it's uh Completely changed. There's there, everything is closed. The theater is closed. Um, the uh, concert halls are closed. The dance halls are closed. There's nothing. Nothing. No movie theaters. No restaurants. So it's uh, we've had to really change our style of life. But I'm fortunate enough to live across the street from S- Central Park, so I can get out and get some fresh air. But I sure do miss all the energy that was is what always attracted me to New York. So. But business is good and people are doing things and I'm just I'm, I'm just riding it out till, till we all get back to in good shape again.
0: Well, I guess lucky for you, you, you've got a little more watchable of a team with the Knicks this year, at least than they have been in past seasons. Are you keeping up with the Knicks?
1: Yeah, I think I think the coach, they got a really good coach. They have a good general manager. Uh, they, they, they have a lot of the same players they had before. And the, the new coaches just brought them around and bringing Rose in was a good move.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they, they, they didn't do any trades. They stayed with it and they're really interesting. They're a good defensive team and they're fun to watch.
0: I, yeah. They uh, watched them against my Pacers the other night, maybe not the outcome that I was wanting, but uh, yeah. so anyway, those listening at home have already heard some of the brands that you've been associated with over the years. I wanted to give a a bit of an intro, but at the same time, I hate defining people um, just by what's out there in print or in digital form. So it's good that we're getting a chance to sit down and chat. Um, So before we get to all of your accomplishments and and you've had an incredible career, um, I want to rewind things a bit and get some information about you that might not be as readily available. Does anyone can Google you and see that, um, you know, you played basketball in school, you studied at Cornell, you went to New York University Law School, and a few other spots. Um, On top of that, it looks like you spent some time in Germany with the Army. But I want to know, were you a real creative child growing up? Or was this um, creative gene, for lack of a better word, something you developed along the line? Um, I was not a creative kid. I was a basketball player. The
1: reason I got into, you know, I was, I was, I was a modestly decent student with, you know, I got good SATs, but I was a basketball player. And my first day uh, at classes at Cornell, I was in an English class with about thirty people. The front row was full of women who were—they only had ten percent women at Cornell. They were all valedictorians of their class, and I was hiding in the back of the room. <laughs> and when the and when when anybody asked a when. It's, the teacher asked a question, the girls didn't raise one hand, they raised two hands and jumped out of their seats. There's tremendous energy in the room and I'm hiding in the corner. At the end of the class, I walked out and as the last person and the teacher came over and he said, what's a big guy like you hiding in the corner? And I said, look, you know, I, I eke my way into Cornell through basketball and I've got, I've got a real tough year ahead of me. I've got to catch up for the things I didn't pay attention to. But I was never a creative person. I was in the School of Industrial Labor Relations. I majored in economics, Um, and my counselor was Secretary of Labor Labor Perkins under FDR. She was my, you know, she. I did my thesis with her, and I I was. uh, I applied for PhDs in economics and law school and say I'm going to go to where I get the best uh, deal, and I ended up going to NYU Law School, which was to me a very dreary experience. And after a year and a half, my mom had just passed away. I took a leave of absence. We had the draft. I had taken ROTC. I'd been commissioned a Lieutenant and I went to officer's um, artillery training. I was an artillery officer and I volunteered to go to Germany. When I was in Germany, I started uh, when I had a lot of free time and I had a car and I started taking photographs and I, realized that photography opened up my mind and I was a creative person. And I started writing and taking photography, winning awards, getting my work published. And I, uh, when I came back after two and a half years and being extended for the Berlin Wall and the Cuban Missile Crisis, I went to to visit a lot of different photographers and Richard Avedon was one of them. And he said, you know, you're talented, but you have to, you know, uh, Uh, serve and uh, with one of the great photographers and really learn you haven't studied at all and that that's how I got into this business Um, and I took courses with major photography people and at the School of Visual Arts and worked in the advertising business and that's how I built my I built my career out of that and uh, and once I found out that I was really a creative person and I was interested in communications and
0: simplifying complex communications. Yeah, I noticed that um, a lot of your, or at least some of your later schooling, dealt with communications, it looks like. And then, like you said, you started to establish yourself in the world of branding and design. Was there a moment early on that you feel was a real breakthrough moment for you in your career? Um, well, I mean, the break, the, the
1: I always felt that when I was started out in the business, there were all these different disciplines. There was advertising, there was direct response, um, there was public relations, there was market research. And and I, I noticed that um, when companies, brands did their communications, it became fragmented depending on who you're working with and the platform you were on. So I became very interested in figuring out how I could create unified communications programs. And I experimented in my career. I worked at one of the biggest advertising agencies, BBDNO. And I moved from there to a PR firm where I worked uh, on public relations, much to the consternation of my wife and father. And at at that firm, I I met some interesting people who had gravitated toward the branding business. And uh, once they were settled in this firm, they offered me a job. And I really, my, that was really the formative part of my career where I started working on brands and helping companies define who they were, what was unique about them, why you should pay attention to them, renaming the companies, working with companies that merged together to reshape the company around a new identity. And I found it, you know, I found it really stimulating. And, you know, when I was, you know, 27 years old, um,
0: I just split off on my own. And uh, that was a big breakthrough in my life. So let's skip forward. Uh, you said, you know, that was when you were 27. Let's skip forward um, to 1969. You were either 30 or 31 around that time. And you formed a logo and design company with a designer named Robert Gale. And shortly after, you found yourself working with the MBA to create a new logo. Now, no offense to the people that had worked with their branding prior, but um, I I had to do some digging and I've been an NBA diehard fan my whole life almost to find those old logos. It took me a while and they were hideous. Um, And I I think, you know, they had tried to bury them or or whatever, but um, it's like, they didn't want us to see them, but I guess that's a testament to your work. So then they ask you to work on this new logo. Can you give listeners a little context for the situation? Yes, the the, um,
1: commissioner of the NBA uh, was worried that the reputation of the NBA had been tarnished because a lot of the players had been involved involved with drugs. And the league, uh, when they compared themselves to Major League Baseball, which was the All-American game, looked pretty shabby. And uh, I had designed the logo for Major League Baseball, uh, the MLB. Um, And... um, so he he had the firm that hired them come to see me and um he hired me and i developed a whole range of designs but the concepts were all tied to trying to create a family relationship with the uh, major league baseball so that was the essence of it and um when I, i wanted to do is i didn't want to do a symbol with people uh, dunking and slamming the ball down because to me the beauty of basketball was the, the grace of people drilling up court and spinning and, and driving to the basket and the, the, uh, um, and, and the guards versus the seven foot two centers. So that, uh, And I, I was looking around for ideas and one of my close friends was Dick Shap, the sports writer. Do you know mm-hmm. Dick. You know who he is, right? It, uh, yeah, and Jeremy's his son, right? Jeremy's his son, and Jeremy grew up with my daughter and went to Cornell with my, you know, my daughter was there. Oh, okay. So, 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 Dick was the editor of Sport Magazine at that time, and he had watched. He had, He was, when he was at Cornell. He was the editor of the Cornell Sun and everything, and he recruited me to go to Cornell. He, so, uh, I had signed to play for Penn, but I changed. So Dick was editor of Sport. So I looked through his files, and I found that picture of Jerry West. And Jerry West was my age and played at the same time I did and he was featured in dell all American sports magazine that about basketball that I was in so I always kind of identified with him and I loved the, the I loved the the grace of his moving up court with the ball and, and dribbling and I, that was one of the designs that I did and when i I showed the designs to the commissioner i I recommended it he accepted it immediately today if any design that I, that I do is going to have to go through committees and people checking it and market research. He accepted immediately and we had it in the market in two weeks.
0: Now, you mentioned the MLB logo. I'm curious since, since I got you here. Um, is that Harmon Killebrew? Uh, no, it's
1: not Harmon Killebrew. Harmon Killebrew wrote me a letter and asked me if it was him. And uh, I said it wasn't and he was disappointed and we had a discussion. Uh, he was putting pressure on me to maybe change my mind but I, it, it wasn't him. But it's funny that it does look like him a lot. You know, that's the thing about, that's the thing about a, a, a symbol like this that's a representation of a person. I mean, it, uh, some of the designs I did for basketball look like Jabbar. Jabbar is a New York guy I grew up with when I was here. I think in his period, he was really one of the great players who established the league. And I can show you designs I did, which you could say it's him the way he's doing a skyhook, you know. Yeah. And so, but I, 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 that, that dribbling up the court that, that fluidity that really appealed to me and broke away from people dunking and jumping up and getting a rebound or doing things like that. So I. It, it just, but I was so happy that um, the commissioner picked it. He was enthusiastic about it, and we didn't have to go through all that mumbo jumbo that's involved with corporations these days.
0: Right. So, well, I had always assumed it was Harman and I had even read some places it was Harmon. Do you re- remember who it was for the MLB logo?
1: Well, it, it wasn't anybody. I mean,
0: okay. it wasn't it, it? Was not anybody. I, I, you know, I,
1: I played baseball. I was a catcher and played around it, and and I you know, working with my design team, we tried different stances. And I always liked that, you know, that stance. And, but it was, he he wrote me a couple of letters and his family wrote me letters. And <laughs> uh, I wanted to say, I wanted to help him, but I it would be, dis- I thought
0: it would be dishonest. Right. So you ended up going with Jerry though. We know, you know, that is definitely Jerry. Yeah, but you know, when I, when I showed it to the commissioner, I
1: it didn't show him the picture and I never identified it as and uh, as Jerry West. But um, I think the photographer who took the picture or people who saw the picture in Sport Magazine made the, you know, made the connection. And um, as I mentioned, when I met Commissioner Stern, I was was on vacation once and and Commissioner Stern was there and I was, I played tennis with him and we discussed it. And he he didn't want it to be a person. And he, (laughs) he I, I had to send him all the files and everything, but he never identified it as Jerry. And I told you that I've met Jerry three times and he doesn't want anything to do with me. He doesn't want he doesn't want to be the symbol of the league. He's uncomfortable with it.
0: Right. And and that, you know, that fits in line. I, I've seen Jerry say that before, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um I'm assuming Commissioner Stern didn't want to deal with any of the the financial ramifications if it comes out that that they've been branding around a one player for the, so long correct
1: well he never said that but you know he was a shrewd business guy great guy by the way and a shrewd business guy I you know he made this league. he's in many ways so uh, that was obviously one of the considerations and and you know um so I, I also think, you know, that it would be very competitive, you know, who, shouldn't it be Michael Jordan or shouldn't it be somebody else? And he didn't want to get into that. He so but obviously there was a, was a financial
0: consideration. So you mentioned Jerry and, and your encounters with him. Um, he was on an ESPN show several years ago called The Jump, and they asked him about being the logo man. And, um, you know, he said something similar. He wished it was somebody else. That's um, kind of his personality. He just he doesn't seem to want to be somebody that attracts a lot of attention or notoriety, which I imagine is hard when you're incredible at you know what you do. Um, were you alerted to those comments a few years ago, even though you'd already interacted with? Well,
1: them? I, I I was in a restaurant in L.A. I had in one of my offices in L.A. And Dick, Shapp, strange thing, Dick Shap's PR guy comes into the restaurant with Jerry, and he said, "Come over to meet Jerry." And Jerry was sitting. Uh, at a table, and he introduced me. He just he, he looked up, and uh, the guy introduced me, and then he 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 um, asked me, "Did the commissioner like the logo?" I said yes, and then he went on eating and didn't disregard <laughs> me. I went to the I went to a Lakers game with my son-in-law, who did some work for the Lakers, and I uh, was with um, the owner of the Lakers' daughter, and he was there having dinner with his son and I went over and said hello (laughs) and he barely looked up said hello and that was it and uh they his when they did they did a bio somebody wrote a biography about him and the writer called me and I talked to him a little bit and they used it in the cover of the book and in his restaurant so I guess you know he's not so
0: shy about it right so um like I said that was several years ago um but we've seen some more conversations, um, you know, almost a a little over a year ago in January when Kobe passed some logo conversations came up. And then of course, that's come up again in the past week with Kyrie Irving. He's been very vocal about calling for change. And I'm going to read some of the comments that he's made just so people at home can hear them. We've already talked a little bit about them, but he made a post on social media with Kobe as the logo. And he said, it's gotta happen. I don't care what anybody says, black Kings built the league. And then he also said, as a native black man, as a native black King, I think it's part of my responsibility to continue to push our generation, our culture forward. Now, later on, he did clarify, he doesn't want to discredit any other players who have contributed on and off the court to the game. Um, Now obviously you've heard all that stuff because uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have been calling you. What were your first thoughts when you heard about some of those comments from Kyrie? I've been in the, I've been in this business a long time. Very rarely
1: do symbols last 10, 15 years. People, particularly now they change them. And what's been so startling about this is the fact that wherever I go and speak and, or, uh, which is a lot. And after I speak 30, 20, 30, 15 people come up and ask me, uh, for an autograph. Okay. And, um, I, most of these people are black and they're really excited about the logo and they, no one's ever you know, said anything about it. But my, my sense is that um, th- this, is, uh, this goes back to the history of the game um, and it's not a player, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a representation of basketball that out of, you know, surprisingly has been so successful, is used around the world. Is, is accepted by by just about everybody. I've, I really haven't had that many criticisms. I've never had a criticism of it, except that people say you should make the shorts longer, and uh, and so on. Um, and um, I'm, I I just think there's no reason to change to change it unless there's it's signaling something that the league wants to say, and it's never come up. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and I, um, Adam Silver lives in my building here, where I live, and I've met him in, in the gym a few times. I've talked to him. He knows who I I am. He's never said anything about it to me. You know, and so um, I, my my opinion is, um, uh, who who it should not be a person. If if they did it over, it shouldn't be a person. What you know, and my answer to. Uh, um, these criticisms and comments right now is, you know, if, if you're going to say, who, what's the, who's the person who really personifies modern era basketball, it's Michael Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what happens when Michael Jordan dies? Do you change the symbol to him? What happens to LeBron James when LeBron James James? It's a classic symbol that projects around the world um, uh, the story about the NBA that has really worked, and I see. I, I don't see any reason to change it, and it's not because I designed it and I get credit for it. I think it's a bad business decision. This decision to start changing something that's so successful and so embedded in, and it would be enormously successful.
0: But my question is, what's the story? What's the reason mm-hmm. for changing it? So, um, seeing as you're involved in branding, you're so immersed in branding, then um, that's not really my area of expertise so I've seen a lot of major companies over the years though be it McDonald's or John Deere they might make subtle changes to logos um, what is it about something like the NBA logo that would make it timeless or, or why then once again should we leave it alone personally um, I would leave it I I, I I thought about
1: this a long time ago a year I guess about a year year and a half ago when Kobe died I I, I'm within, I looked at it with an open mind, I made some sketches, I thought about it. But I'm gonna go back to the basic reason. A lot of these companies do modest changes to make their their logo more readable, to take a color that's more, uh, right, or they have to have use it as a signature with other typefaces. Um, and that happens all the time and I do that all the time. But I, I, I think this is classic. We shouldn't make the shorts longer um, and um, I, I, I think it's, it, it, we had this freaky situation where something was so successful that it's worked. I see no reason to change it unless there's a story. What's the reason for changing it? Right. If I saw um, Kyrie um, and I talked to him, I'd say, well, what do you want to do with Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan is really the guy in modern, modern basketball who
0: represents the personification
1: of the, of the NBA. You
0: know yeah and it's interesting you you say that because about uh well when kobe passed um uh dame lillard basically said well if i don't think we should change it but if we do it should be jordan this past week doc good uh doc rivers said if we change it it's got to be michael jordan well we know you know how much michael jordan's logo is worth and uh that would be a whole different situation but, no the other thing is
1: you know not, uh Jordan, we have this, we, we have a wonderful graphic expression of Jordan when he's jumping from the foul line to, to dunk that's used on various, you know, sneaker products. And when this thing happened with Kobe, it was the Kobe issue about a year ago, I said, you know, the league should have a special uh, program named after Kobe and put his, put his logo on that, you know, mm-hmm. Which is what I and and probably you know probably was so it was so touching to people what happened to to him and his daughter. Uh, I thought that was the right thing to do, and I think they've done it or are going to do it. I think that's the way to handle that, Uh, rather than changing the whole identity global identities of something that's so successful. Um, And I can't really see what I mean. We've made we've been we've made a few changes, you know, minor little things in the, the NBA. The width of the letters, or something like that, the colors, and I I see no reason to touch it, yeah. Uh, Unless you know, unless there's a you know a compelling you know reason, and um, you know. So, I mean, I'm sympathetic to Kyrie. I I mean, he was really was one of his champions and his mentors, and he was a fabulous basketball player. But I can t- name 10 other players who were just or more important than he was in the history of the NBA. Mm-hmm.
0: So one of the things that I really appreciate about the logo is that it's simple yet distinct. Um, you know, even when it comes to trading cards, I tell people that I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I think a card with a good photo, a good font and some sort of defined border can be a beautiful thing. And likewise, as your career progressed, you really honed in on the idea of simplicity. And in 2013, you even co-wrote a book called Simple. And you've been a huge huge advocate for the plain English movement that helps simplify financial and legal documents. I thought it was really cool reading about the fact that the IRS hired you to create the 1040-EZ form. Um, that's not something I would necessarily sit and stare at for its beauty, but if I had to fill out a more complex form before that, I, I'd be thanking my lucky stars for your work. So um, can you take a few moments to explain the importance of simplicity and not just with the NBA logo, I'm talking in general, and why you fought so hard for it, be it through design or branding or any other type of work? It's a really good question and very pertinent since I just wrote an op-ed.
1: Um, the, um, I, I, I'm in the business of helping all kinds of institutions, you know, the government, uh, regulatory bodies, corporations, not-for-profit companies, universities. I do a lot of work. Here. And the, the essence that we do is we have to communicate uh, and have impact, affect people's attitude, help them make decisions, right? And when I was, uh, I was working with First National City Bank, we changed the name to, it was First National City Bank. They had an installment loan note that um, was the most unintelligible document that even their own lawyers couldn't read it and didn't read it. And the essence of a contract is mutuality; both parties you have to understand what you know what your obligations are if you sign that. It was impossible to read, it was unattractive, and it was the antithesis of what Citibank stood for, which was one of the major progressive global banks. So I went to them and said, I want to put this in plain English. I want, to, I want to reorganize it so somebody with a 10th grade education can read it and signal to people that they can read it. And I, I want to make sure that I don't, we don't compromise your legal position, but the contract is supposed to be a mutuality. And if people can't understand it, then it's not a valid contract. And it took me about six months to get them to let me do it. And um, I hired Dr. Rudolf Flesch, who was a Viennese guy who, worked, who was an expert in linguistics. And we locked ourselves in my basement. And we rewrote the document and we sequenced it. So it was in the order of how are you going to read it? Who are the parties? What are the financial considerations? What happens? And so on, because people don't read the whole document from beginning to end. You know? So we had headings, we had sections. And when you looked at it, you go right to that section. And it was written. In plain English, if they were technical words, I defined them in context every time they were used. And then we tested it with people and we gave them the original contract and asked them to read it and we asked them questions. And we, then we gave them this and we asked them questions and we had 90%, you know, comprehension and a hundred percent associates saying, this is the kind of bank that I wanna do business with. So I took the before and after of that and moved across the country and talked to financial institutions, the media, and really became uh, one of the major advocates for simplifying not only legal contracts, bank contracts, but insurance policies, um, as you said, you know, the uh, tax things, anything, medical information, technical information, and that's been one of the focuses of my whole career in taking anything that's complicated that people need to, to help people understand to make informed decisions and protect themselves. So I've just written an article where I took three examples of where, where, where the lack of simplicity and clarity has had horrible results. One, the vaccines. Um, and I, I in my experience here, and what I read about other things is that people are completely unable to deal with these websites that the states have put together, particularly older people, people who don't have computers, people who are scared of technology. um, And I have a whole series of uh, things about that. Number two, unemployment. People have lost their unemployment um, uh, contracts and they don't don't know what to do. And in desperation, since they can't reach anybody or get anybody to help them, they go to Reddit and yell, and put out on Reddit, help me, help me. So all these people are, you know, maybe they don't even know what they're doing. They're telling you what to do. Another thing is um, here in New York, if you are homeless and you file um, the papers to, to get homeless, they take eight months to do it. And, uh, and, and it's so complicated and they treat people as if they're trying to cheat you. They have no place to live. And then, and, and then, uh, so that, and then finally, I took the uh, Medicare booklet, 92 page booklet. And I gave it to 100 people who have Medicare and asked them questions. Hardly anybody could answer a question or find out even where the answer to the question was in the booklet. And so that article should be coming out momentarily as an example of how we've lost our way. You know? And I think government in particular and corporations have a responsibility you know, to communicate with clarity. We all sign you know, blindly these contracts for you know, our our stuff on the computers, on Facebook, and and things like that, should not be 140 page contracts with all kinds of provisions that allow these people to use our private information. So that, you know, that's, that's sort of been a hallmark of, you know, my, and and so in everything I do, I look for simplicity and clarity. And everything I do, I use research to measure that people understand who they're dealing with, they understand what's distinctive about who they're dealing with, and they know uh, what the commitments they're, they've made, what their responsibilities are, which helps them differentiate with companies that don't do that. Mm-hmm. So where can we
0: find that article? You said is coming out pretty soon. Uh, probably going to be in the New York Times. Okay, excellent. Um, so as I mentioned before this, this is a basketball card show. I've deviated talk oh, about okay. other topics. Um, I do have to talk to you about one more thing though you know aside from designing the nba logo that's featured on thousands of cards throughout history um have you ever been involved in any aspect of designing or branding sports cards no never have is it is it something you've considered or just the opportunity was never really there um Nobody ever asked me to or hired me to do it. I mean,
1: I like a lot of young people. I've, I collected baseball cards when I was a kid, and, but no one's ever asked me to do it. Hmm. Um, and are, are, there, are there any are there special designers who do those things that you know? Of?
0: There are, yes. Um, and now, I mean, the companies hire their own designers, so it's pretty much all done in house. And unfortunately, with basketball cards, there's only one company that has the license to make cards. So uh, now that they have that monopoly, I, 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 don't want to, um, I don't want to discredit their designers, but I, I think sometimes it would be nice to have some competition. We'll put it that way. Um, yeah. Maybe from you someday. <laughs>
1: well, I, I love hard challenges. I love to go, you know,
0: to grounds where there's uh, new opportunities. So I'll, I'll look at it. I never really thought too much about it. At the end of every episode, I like to give guests the chance to offer any final words or promote anything else they're working on. I know you said you had that article coming out. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Um, No, I think you've given me a huge
1: opportunity to talk about who I am and what I believe in and what I'm doing. So I really appreciate it. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. You're a smart guy and your questions were, were good. And I it's nice, it's nice to talk to people across the country and see what's going on. So uh, thank you very much, and good luck to you and, and, and all your listeners. And let's all get out of this mess as fast as we can and get back to a regular life.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. Once again, I want to thank Alan for taking the time to come on the show. You know, the day after Alan and I talked, uh, a student came into my classroom wearing an NBA hoodie. And it wasn't for any specific team. It was literally an NBA hoodie, said NBA on it, and it had the logo. And I've seen that logo countless times over the last 25 years. But um, I saw that hoodie, and of course, you know, I didn't even mention it to the student, but it kind of took on a new level of of significance for me. Because I I think of Allen and all that he's done over the course of his career, not just for the NBA, but I think of what he's done to help society as a whole. And it's pretty incredible. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. Maybe there was something that Alan said today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. So you're going to shop there anyway, right? So this works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. It's a simple way to support the show, but if multiple people do that, it really helps me out. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com.